The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. Valentine's Week basketball edition with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, Steve Fezzik. To my left, Brad Powers. And I'm RJ Bell. Guys. NBA All-Star break coming up. You're thinking, maybe this is a week we don't have to listen. Well, if so, you will miss out. Overrated, underrated. The committee with their first reveal, and we're going to talk about Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Kentucky. We've got a team that's 15-1 and against the spread, and we're going to explain if there's still value with them. And in the NBA, the Cavs, what a big trade, and what a win over the Celtics. The market's adjusted. We're going to tell you, should you be playing on or off Toronto, on or off Cleveland? Fezzik has a buy and a sell on each of them. First, though, and, well, always best bets. And we're going to be breaking down the biggest Saturday college basketball game. First, though, it's always underrated, overrated. And we start with the college basketball guru. Speaking of gurus, we also, like we have every week, we've got Dave Esler by tape with some really insightful comments, overrated, underrated for him and a free pick and some concepts on coaching and how to take advantage of good and bad coaching this time of year. Mr. Powers, college basketball guru, give us your underrated team. Yeah, my underrated team is Tennessee. This is a team currently ranked number 18 in the AP poll. In the committee reveal rankings, they were ranked number 13. I have them in my current latest edition of my power ratings that are posted each Friday in the pregame.com forums. Number nine for the volunteers. Why do I think they're underrated? Because I think there's been a clear overreaction on Tennessee's last game. Their worst performance of the season, a 28-point loss against Alabama in that game. Tennessee shot 27% from the field. In any other game this season, Tennessee shot at least 36% from the field. On the defensive side, they allowed Tennessee, allowed Alabama 57% field goal percentage. Most allowed by Tennessee in any game this season. Here's a Tennessee team that's been remarkably consistent. Let's, they- let's talk about the shooting. Because when I hear about really good or really bad shooting, and especially if it's in the same game, right? One team shooting really good, one really bad. I'm thinking, oh, it's a bunch of luck. All right. And thus luck, obviously these are good shooters, right? So if they miss, if they're typically 50% and they're shooting 30%, maybe it's luck. Maybe it's something else. What caused this disparity between the typical quality of shooting for both of these teams? I think tired legs and a bad matchup against a really good Alabama team. Tired legs for Tennessee. Why? Back-to-back road trips. And they were coming off one of their biggest wins in 10 years for Tennessee. They won on the road at Kentucky, second of a back-to-back road trip, not as up. I was expecting maybe not their A-plus performance, maybe a B-plus performance. We got a C performance out of Tennessee. All right, so it was they are culpable. Tennessee doesn't have any 
excuse they played bad, but you're saying, hey, the fact they played bad when they were in such a bad situation, yeah, we downgrade them, but we don't overdo it. The market has overdone it. Absolutely. I downgraded them maybe a half a point or so in my power ratings off their worst performance. Looks like the market's downgraded them a point and a half or, or more. All right, and you were talking about this team, Tennessee's consistency. Well, right before that game, Tennessee was 9-1 and one straight up and 8-2 and two against the number of their previous 10 games. This is a team that hasn't lost back-to-back games only one time this season. And even against the spread, they have only had one ATS losing streak this entire season. So you're saying they've only lost two straight ATS games once this whole year? Once this entire season. Wow, that's impressive. That is Hey now. Impressive. Now, we always ask with the underrated teams, it's one thing to lean, and that's what we do with underrated. We lean that way to start when we start the individual game handicap. When I start handicapping Tennessee and I'm leaning towards playing on them, what's another situation that's specific to this Tennessee team that would benefit them? It's what I just said. And when they're off a straight up or ATS loss, I want to be on them. I think this is a team that in the locker room, they don't allow the, the you know it to get out of hand as far as these losing streaks or even bad performances back to back. So I'm going to be on Tennessee right after this worst performance of their season against Alabama and any other point in this season when they have a bad performance, I want to be on them immediately the next game. Okay, and you won't do that blindly, but no. that's one of the places you especially like them. Now, when is their next game? We're taping here. Pregame.com offices on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. They play Tuesday night against South Carolina, and it's the biggest power ratings disparity of any game for Tuesday night. The market has the game Tennessee favored by 10.5. My power ratings say it should be 13.5 or 14 points as far as them being favored. Have you bet this game? I have bet this game on Tennessee. And keep in mind, the opening number was Tennessee 12. So there was really only a one, one and a half point difference at the start. The market saw Tennessee get crushed by Alabama, and they played against Alabama with the line dropping. Okay, great stuff from Brad there. Next up, we've got, as we mentioned, Dave Esler. Now, if you don't know Dave, he is a forum warrior. What does that mean? Pregame.com, you go to the forums. This guy, for like seven, eight years, just producing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of words of free analysis almost every day. If you like that kind of stuff, if you like the, the written deep dive, Esler is as good as they come, pregame pro, and he also, though, he's making the effort to share some of this with the big Dream Preview podcast audience. Here's his undervalued team. Okay, my undervalued team this week is the Missouri Tigers. Uh, people might not look at them as undervalued, having beaten Alabama and Kentucky. Uh, but what impressed me is they won that game uh, in overtime at home against Mississippi State. And, and teams that can win those games late are teams I want my money on. Um, they beat Florida, they beat Tennessee, and they beat Kentucky, which might not seem like as big of a deal this year as it might have been in other years, but that was only three days after they beat Alabama on the road. So that was, that was a huge letdown spot. They're a phenomenal free throw shooting team. They shoot 78%, which is beyond elite. That's NBA stuff. They score 20% of their points from the free throw line. Uh, they're going to be favored in most of their remaining games. They've got some length and a very experienced backcourt. So I think Missouri is a team that is very undervalued right now. Fully agree with Dave on that one. In fact, Missouri's next game as we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon here in Vegas is hosting Texas A&M on Tuesday night. And Missouri made it way into my pocket, laying one point. 
I think it's a, a team that, that's going to offer up some value in the next couple of games. Okay. Any thoughts on Missouri Fest? No thoughts on Missouri. See, I like that. I like a man, Socrates said, a man who knows what he doesn't know, he knows a lot. Speaking of knowing a lot, Fezzik, you're underrated team. North Carolina is undervalued based upon some poor performance for them earlier in the year. But this blue blood, the buy sign is blinking. And here's why, RJ. We start out on Thursday. They play Duke. They're arch rival. They win this game. Here come the bad spots. Brad talked about it with Tennessee. It's no big deal if you don't play well in a really bad spot well. North Carolina had back-to-back really bad spots this past week. So when you say spots, we're talking about situations. So real quick, what what was so bad about the situation? So coming off the home run win against Duke, they play their geographical rival, North Carolina State. Their in-state rival means more to NC State than North Carolina. You'd expect, Especially off that win against Duke. Exactly. You'd expect, oh, this one could be a flat spot. But North Carolina laying four, wins by seven in that game on the road. Okay. They win that game on Saturday. Now on Monday, they got to play a rare third game in five days against a Notre Dame team that always gets sky high for their game against North Carolina and a Notre Dame team that's getting healthier. Great spot for Notre Dame. Terrible spot for North Carolina. Yet they still win and they cover the minus 10. They blow out the Irish. So if you can get wins and covers in arguably two of the worst spots of the year, here's a team I want to buy going forward. Okay, my first question is, whenever a team that is such a blue blood is underrated, I got to think, man, this is an amazing confluence of events, right? Because people are going to be biased towards playing on North Carolina. Thus, they're usually expensive. What is it about this team up until, let's say, the last two games that made them so underrated? Or another way to say it is, how have maybe they were properly rated and something's changed? Yeah, I think that what's happened is that they had the better athletes and it just took a while for it all to gel. And so this is, is this a very young team? Yes. And they've, and, and they have a point guard that's very, that, that's so North Carolina, North Carolina has a, has a point guard that's very important to them and he's playing very well right now. And frankly, this is something I see from North Carolina many times, RJ, that they don't start out so well, but by tournament time, they become a contender. It's happening now. I think it's a hangover effect. This is, keep in mind, this is a team that won the national championship last year. Uh, so you had a team that probably wasn't as max motivated as past North Carolina additions because you're just coming off that title season. Okay, now, we always ask with underrated, when do we especially think there's value on them? What do you say about North Carolina? And this is a rare case, RJ, because there's not one specific spot I'm looking towards. I'm selectively, though, looking to play this team and ride this wave unless it's another bad spot for them. Because, frankly, they got two covers in games that they had, they really they should have fallen flat on their face. I think it's a team we can invest in many times going forward. Okay, so what I hear you saying is all underrated teams, even the most underrated team of the week, all of them are not created equals and they're not all the same amount of underratedness. <laughs> Thus, is North Carolina one of the more underrated teams you've seen this entire college basketball season? Well, amongst the top 20, absolutely. Okay, so if you just had to guess next five games and forgetting who they're playing and all that, because I just want the listeners to get an idea that when Fezzik thinks a team is especially underrated, how often does that translate to an individual game offering value? So 
Next five games for North Carolina, if you had to guess, how many times will you play on them? Probably two or three of the five. All right. And so what you're saying is if it's a typically underrated team, so a little less than North Carolina, maybe one or two of the next five. Yes. All right. So, guys, that's a great guide, right, is that when the boys, when the wise guy roundtable tells you, hey, this team's underrated, doesn't mean you're going to play them blind, right? It means that you might only play a random team once out of 20 or 30 games. And you're saying a normally underrated team, you're going to play them once every five games, and especially underrated team twice, maybe, every five games. All right. Now, Mr. Astler, we were exchanging our emails and prepping for the show, and you guys do an amazing job with your prep for sure, is he said, hey, I've got a comment about North Carolina, specifically the coaching. So let's hear Mr. Astler talk about coaching this time of year in college basketball. My coaching thoughts for this week, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of the way I look at things over the course of a season, and it goes from from non-conference strength of schedule to conference strength of schedule. And then we start looking at historical matchups when they start playing in conference. And, and then we get a little into youth. And now we're getting into a time of year where I think that coaching is probably trumps just about everything. Knowing what's going on with the coaches right now, I, I think is really important. You look at a team like Georgia Tech, Pastner is having a bunch of issues with, with sexual allegations. Kennedy in Mississippi is leaving. Um, and one thing I wanted to I wanted to talk about. I know Fezzik had some thoughts on on North Carolina. They're winning three out of five, and and their athletes. And and I would like to expound on that. That I wonder how much of that was really just Roy Williams because they were obviously in a big letdown spot. That's coaching. Okay, agree or disagree is as the season progresses, is coaching maybe the biggest factor in college basketball handicapping. Well, you start to, at least as March Madness comes around, you, you hear about coaches like Tom Izzo and Coach K, and the, the, these are guys that should be probably inflated as far as lines, but they still cover the spread. It's like it's almost like the NBA, like the Cavs coasted the, throughout the course of the season last year and then turned it on come playoff time. Well, a lot of these coaches, I think, come the end of the year, kind of ratchet it up a notch. The Tom Izzo's, the Coach K's. There's a lot of guys that are tournament caliber coaches uh, that, that are even better than what they were in the regular season. All right. So first off, we're weeks and weeks from the tournament. All right. So let's talk specifically about February 13th, 14th, 15th, this time of year, the next week. We think about our shows during preview every Tuesday we tape, every Wednesday a.m. we release. We're looking with a week's horizon. So with a week's horizon, do we think coaching is more important? Obviously, Esler does. Do we, specifically Brad and Fez? Number two, when you say things like they turn it on, what does that mean? Like, why is coaching more important now? And even more important, it sounds like, come March than it is in November and December. Now, I've got two ideas for that. I think come tournament time, it's just an entirely different thing, right? It's not playing two games a week. In, in the conference tournaments, it's playing, you know, four or do some play five? Yeah, some are five. Five. So think about it. In a regular season, they're playing two games in a week. To win a, some tournaments, you got to win five games in a week, five straight days. That's different, right, for the coach. It's also different for the handicapping. I also think another – so I think it's easier to see why – 
it matters so much in come conference tournaments and beyond. I think one of the reasons it might matter more at this time of year in 2018 than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago is the better teams have so many young players. And what does that mean? One, can you teach them fast enough? Right. I remember reading a season on the brink, the Bobby Knight book. I think Feinstein wrote it, John Feinstein. And it really showed you how, you know, Bobby Knight had a multiple year horizon on kids and improving them and coaching them up, not only on the court, but also as men, spiritually, whatever. And, but wait a minute, if it's one and done, you pretty much have from November through March. And maybe some coaches that could have, you know, had a freshman improve a significant amount before becoming a sophomore and then improve again. And then as a senior, they come together that kind of coaching, maybe not as valuable, at least at the highest level programs as a guy that can make a team come together in three months. So is that what's driving like, like a, a Williams can do that better than an average coach or what, why is coaching more important in mid February in 2018? Well, I, I think I know that I think that's a great point and that plays a part into it. Cause a lot of these, Teams are just the one and done teams like your Kentuckys and Dukes are maybe just finally starting or, to gel. Or is this you saying, I don't really feel it, RJ. I think coaching is just as important now as it was a month ago or two months ago. I don't think that lever, that that big change comes till the tournament. It, it doesn't for me when I'm handicapping. Right. Maybe the only other thing I can think of, you're getting a lot of rematches. So the adjustments from the okay. first meeting between the two teams, that I can see can play yeah, you know, a different level. I one of the guys here. George, That's a great one, point. One of your friends, George, prior to the pro- podcast when we were going over the the, the notes here, uh, he's talked a great thing about Bill Self in the regular season, never losing twice to the same opponent, at least in this stretch of the last thirteen years. Yeah. Okay. So that's fascinating. Is the idea of the youth and how they, um, how quickly they evolve or get coached up, and number or as uh, Pesci said, the youths. And <laughs> number two is the idea of second time around. Okay. Fez, any thoughts? I think the pacing aspect, if you're a coach and you know your job's not in danger and any one game really doesn't matter that much, if you're an Izzo, you can afford to lose three or four games in November, in December. Same with Roy Williams. A lot of programs, a lot of the um, the coaches can't. So they do the Tom Thibodeau in the NBA. They just try to go all in every single game. And their so, teams so get when, tired. So when they peak is what you're saying. The coaches that have more confidence, more experience, they're willing to almost like Belichick in the NFL. They're willing to maybe accept making this decision now early in the year decreases my chance to win this game by a little bit. I can still win it, but a little bit. But it's going to improve my chance of winning later in the season. Very well said. They've got a five-month plan. And Izzo is, frankly, the king of this. Michigan State, you're always like, how could they have lost that game in December? But by March, they're almost always a contender. Now, is that five-month plan, great phrase there, Fazek, is that five-month plan something which every week that goes by, their desire to win goes up? Or could there be ebbs and flows? I think ebbs and flows. If they're underperforming, hey, it's time to turn up the Ah. volume. So it's not even the same every year. It's based upon how they're playing. 
Right. I think it was not a coincidence that when Michigan State hit number one in their rankings, suddenly they tanked, stopped performing at the highest level. Well, but I think with Michigan State, there was extenuating circumstances, right? But your theory would be, hey, it's it's almost like, like some people with the current presidential administration, they're saying, okay, the economy's improving. Tax cuts typically will help the economy. Are we maybe putting too much? And again, not that I agree with this, but this is a political debate that people are having. Are we juicing? Are we putting gasoline on a fire that's already burning bright enough? Your point is Michigan State reaching number one. Typically, forgetting the scandals for a minute, Izzo might say, hey, it's a little early. I don't want to necessarily burn this bright. Not that he's going to sabotage the team, right? But he's going to maybe do some stuff that doesn't help them as much now as he could because then he's saving that stuff for the future when they might need it. Correct. Contrast that, say, with the Virginia, who's never been number one, not used to being it. They want to stay atop, I would think, and do everything they can to stay at number one. So no matter when you, as a handicapper, and we have some disparate opinions, no matter when you think coaching becomes more and more and more important, I think we all agree it becomes ultimately max important during the postseason. Esler, I think, puts more faith in the importance of it even in mid-February but I think that back-to-back, Brad, uh, excellent, excellent feedback. One point about the postseason. Or, I'm sorry, when I say back-to-back, I mean second time around. I think it's very important, RJ, to, to talk about the postseason conference tournaments because there are coaches like Izzo that oftentimes will go ahead and not play hard to win the conference turning. Excellent. Well, and we'll get to that in that week. But you're right, especially based on, and the conference tournaments are a lot about motivation, Right, because you have the teams that have no chance at at large that are max motivated if they think they have any chance to win the tournament. You have other teams. I think if you're if you going for number one seed, you usually are motivated. But a lot of coaches think three, four. What's the difference if I can get a couple days rest? Not that they again sabotage themselves, but they're not going to sacrifice the uh, the future for now because now doesn't mean enough. And we'll be getting into the specifics of those conference tournaments here in a few weeks, in a few weeks on the dream preview, by the way, guys, remember, we always talk about this, the best way, because during March madness, we'll be coming out slightly different days. Wednesday will be a little late. So I I think I'm going to move everything up a day. These guys are going to have to really crack the books because we want you to have as much time as you need leading up to those Thursday games, but conference tournament weeks, even more the case, because some of those games start on Tuesday, right? And if I remember right, aren't there some conferences that's going a week earlier, like the Big Ten this yeah, year? Yeah, Big Ten, a full week earlier. So they're going to be wrapping up the, their tournament the weekend that a lot of teams are wrapping up their final week of the regular season. And the Big Ten used to have that last championship game on Sunday, right, where a the remar- committee was waiting for it. A, a remarkable difference. going to go from being the last tournament played to the first tournament being played as far as the power conferences. So the action you can take, all the listeners, is... If you're not subscribed, subscribe. Because if you're thinking, oh, it's coming out Wednesday, I'm going to go to RJ on his Twitter. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. That's a good thing to do, but you'd be a day late in that case. All you do, if it's Apple, wherever it is, just search RJ Bell, hit subscribe, and boom, you are first. You get it first if you subscribe. Okay, overrated teams. Back to Mr. 
Brad Powers, most overrated team this week? It's Nevada right here uh, locally, a team that's ranked number 24. Remember now, Nevada is what, Fez? What is it, nine-hour drive? Seven-and-a-half-hour drive from hell. Never do it. (laughs) So, in the state. In the state. In-state school here. Number 24 in the AP poll, Nevada is. But in my power ratings, Nevada only number 41. And here's where I think they're overrated. Number one, it's a team that a lot of people are excited about in this state. And coming off an NCAA tournament appearance last year, start of the season, 8-0 straight up and against the spread. So everyone's betting them. Their lines got inflated. What happened? 5-12 and against the number of their last 17 games. Specifically, though, this is a team that's dealing with a nagging injury to their star player. Now, he did come back in the last game, and they had a terrific game. Their best game of the season. They beat San Diego State by 20-plus points. So I think that's going to cause some price overinflation on this Nevada team, and I'll be looking to play against them here in their next couple of games. Okay, so you're saying they have a really bad ATS streak over how many games? 17. They're 5-12 and 12 against the number. And they're still overrated. How could that be? Well, I think they're overrated because... People are going to see what they just saw, their best performance of the season. They just. Okay, so you don't think that they've been overrated? Like, if I would ask you last week, how overrated is Nevada? You would have maybe said, yeah, but you wouldn't have felt strongly about it. Exactly. And what my assessment so this for. is. So, this is more about a team that was a little bit overrated, but now there's a specific game that people have taken notice of. The San Diego State game. And I think they're thinking all is well with their star player who has had a nagging foot injury. Had a great game in his last game back. I'm not, I'm, it's a Liz Frank type of injury and that can be nag, nagging. So just because he looked good one game doesn't mean that he's going to look great the rest of the season. And regarding Nevada, let me ask you, Brad. They lost to UNLV, and this has always been like a one-way rivalry where they, they hate losing to UNLV. That's a red flag, right? Uh, well, it is, and keep in mind they were favored by 10 in that game, lost outright at home, a shock to many because the markets were actually on Nevada in that game. So I actually expected them to rebound, at least for that one game against San Diego State, and have a max-motivated effort, but I definitely think the warning signs were there in that UNLV game. So, but the UNLV game would be the flip side or it'd be similar to Tennessee. Uh, let's think about this. It would be it'd be the flip side of Tennessee because it was a great, in theory, Nevada's going to be motivated against UNLV if they fall short in that game. And then after that embarrassment, when you think, okay, they're going to want to bounce back, they fall short again. It's two times you would expect them to play well that they fell short of. So it's back to expectations versus performance. So yeah, the scoreboard was bad for Nevada in those two games, but when you add in the positive situation, the scoreboard's even worse. Absolutely. And it's not going to get better in my opinion for Nevada. Hint, hint towards the end of the podcast. Esler uh, is going to be on, or at least their opponent coming up. And I'm strongly going to be fading Nevada coming up in their next game. So let me get this straight. You've given away Dave Esler's best bet. Why then you don't know who they're playing? Uh, no one you has. Know what the no, no, our guys aren't smart enough to have a schedule. They're yeah. listening to this yeah. deep dive in college basketball. <laughs> I'll let you deal with Asler. Yes, all right. <laughs> See, guys, you know we don't add it, right? Here we go. You know, <laughs> you know we don't add it. All right. Oh, we always ask if it's an overrated team. We're looking when to play against them. And for you, it's really about this next game. It's about this Wednesday game. Yeah, they're at Boise State, a a poor spot for Nevada, coming off their best performance of the season in a revenge spot, at least for their opponent, Boise State. 
who only lost by six in Nevada earlier this season, despite it being one of Boise State's worst shooting percentages of the entire season. But I'll also be looking to play against them because Nevada's benefited from a relatively soft conference schedule so far, and they still got to play three of the top four teams away from home, starting with Boise State, then San Diego State in a max-motivated effort after getting crushed by Nevada, and also the return trip, UNLV, who is going to be excited to possibly go 2-0 and against a rival. Speaking of Mr. Dave Esler, here is his overvalued team. My overvalued team of the week is Creighton. Most brackets have them at seven, uh, which is, you know, probably 28 to 30. Ken Palm's got them at 22, which is, I think, I think a little high. They had a very soft early schedule. They don't play very good defense. And their only Big East road wins came against Georgetown, St. John's, and DePaul. Nothing to write home about there. They uh, don't get to the free throw line. And they've got coming up Marquette. Then they got to go to Butler and back home against Villanova. And and the only way they tend to win is shooting threes. And if they're going to get into a game of horse with Marquette and Villanova in between Butler's defense on the road, I think they might be in trouble. So for me, Creighton is the overvalued team of the week. Great. I actually disagree. I have Creighton number 26, so right in line where Kempom has him, where the, the latest bracket projections have them as a number seven seed. And let's look at their last game against arguably a top five team in the country. Xavier came down to a controversial call at the end of the game where they call a foul at home on Creighton in a last second shot situation that was borderline 50-50. They don't call a foul. Creighton beats a top five team at home. So Creighton's been a remarkably consistent team. They lose against the top teams they play, but they take care of business straight up and against the spread against the bottom level teams. So I agree with Dave for a little bit as far as them playing the top five level teams. They haven't proven they can get that last second shot and beat them. But man, oh man, about two, three weeks ago, I was saying they're underrated because everyone overreacts to their losses against these top top teams. And then all of a sudden there's value on them coming up the next game. Question for you, Brad. Creighton, obviously, in Nebraska, they got to make all these road trips back to the East Coast. How big a factor do you think that is? Uh, it's a it's a factor, but keep in mind this is for what their third or fourth year in the Big East, so it was a big time factor their first year in the conference. I think they're used to it, but th- that's a good point. That the travel miles obviously end up, add up as you go throughout the course of the season. And here's what's funny: Esler said he was debating between Creighton. And another team for his overrated, but he said he wanted to hear you pronounce Creighton, and that's why he decided Yay! on him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a very different yes. pronunciation. Say, right. say it again. Creighton. 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 He seems like he's adding like an extra syllable. Cray-ton. Creighton. Yeah. Well, we're not. I mean, yeah. we we all, listen, no one here is uh, giving allocution lessons, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is about the quality of the info, but... <laughs> What's the Bengals head coach name again? See Fez. Speaking <laughs> speaking of Mr. Fezzik, you're overrated. Virginian, since they're ranked number one by the committee, they can't be underrated. Can yes, they, they can. I guess they could. Like a team could be the number one team. And we're not talking about the AP, right? We're talking about the betting market. Yes. And my problem with Virginia, I've seen this story before. They play this tremendous slow down ball, great defense. They don't foul and it works so well, especially against high flying opponents who are used to having track meets game after game. And then they play Virginia and they're just completely combobulated, discombobulated. It's like playing an option team in football and you don't see it. And because of that, the metrics say Virginia is the best team 
in the land. And I don't disagree by the metrics. Hey, they've what they've done is is great. But what happens as we get later in the year is teams start to prepare for that style of play. And this Virginia team doesn't have NBA athletes, so they don't get any better. There's a ceiling. They're as good as they're going to be while everyone else gets better. Hmm. This seems like a variation of what we talked about last week, but it seems different. So, Brad, let me recap what I remembered from last week about Virginia, and you can tell me where it all fits. What I think we arrived at after a long discussion, but very entertaining, was the idea that Virginia was like the Spurs in the NBA, as in the effort's almost always there, thus they don't have another gear and at the time where another gear is necessary in the playoffs um, or in the postseason, they often are overrated because people are looking at their stats for the full year, but they were trying. It's almost an, another way to think about it is imagine I golf, but half the time I golf and I have a certain handicap, let's say a five handicap, but, and I don't, but let's say that half the time I golf, I use wooden clubs, right? For drivers instead of the, the new age stuff. Well, if during a money match, I'm always going to use the graphite or whatever, the titanium, I probably, if you blend in those scores with the wooden clubs, I'm going to be underrated. A team like Virginia, to extend this analogy, is always using the best clubs. A team that is up and down sometimes are using the wooden clubs. First of all, do we still agree with that about Virginia? And that would kind of make the case that Virginia is going to not be a team to bet futures on, let's say, to win the tournament or necessarily to advance in competitive games in the tournament. But why would that affect them, make them overrated now? If anything, the fact they're going to play hard every week, every game would make them where they're not overrated. Yeah, I actually disagree with Fezzik. I think Fezzik is overreacting to one game against their rival Virginia Tech, where Virginia had their worst shooting percentage of the any game this season. They shot 27% from the floor. They had a bad shooting night and Virginia Tech, their opponent hit 11 threes against the best defense as far as metrics go in the last 18 seasons. So bad shooting night against your rival. Virginia Tech's hot from behind the arc and really comes down to Virginia. Missed a couple free throws in overtime. Otherwise, they'd have won the game. You just said, ah, they're a little flat there. No worries for me right now against Virginia. But here's where I will agree with Fez. I am kind of concerned. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. A victim of the infamous Malachi Crunch. <laughs> Let's enjoy the crunch. Yeah. Now you can kind of, you know, make but it up. To I him. do have my overall concerns. When we get to the NCAA tournament, I, I think right now Fez is, is right because that's all we've seen. We've seen this top line for Virginia. But as far as the next four or five games in the regular season, I expect them to take that loss against Virginia Tech pretty hard. And I expect max effort out of them. I'm not looking to fade them here the next four or five games. In the tournament, maybe. You've been convinced, Fazek? I'm certainly convinced I don't want to fade a team that's number one off of a loss. That's not the time I want to go ahead and bet against them. So as we, and again, listen, we're talking for hour plus um, on these pods. So the fact that we're honest enough to say, hey, that doesn't sound right. I think that's something most listeners love probably the most about what we, well, my my witticisms. And then second (laughs) is... That we, we try to be honest about, hey, we're sure about this, or at least we think we're sure, but we're not so sure about this. So it sounds like in general, if people are thinking betting futures on Virginia, you'd say no. But 
next five games or so finishing the regular season, maybe not overrated in that narrow sense. I still think they're overrated, but just not as much. I think in particular they're overrated, RJ, when they're when they're laying double digits because let's face it, they're playing tonight while we're taping. The total on their game against Miami of Florida is 120. Think about that compared to like a North Carolina or a Duke total that's more like 160. There's just not enough baskets to get separation for a typical number one team. Which speaks to if you are going to fade Virginia, probably as a big favor because they uh, the, just the math of it, the totals, the, the pace of the games are slow. Exactly. Even better if you can get an opponent against them like a Michigan State that's used to and comfortable playing slower. They're, they're going to give a team that's used to a track meet running up and down the court. That's the team they're just going to give all kinds of grief to. Next topic, and speaking of overrated teams, Brad, Oklahoma. This is a team, you know, we talked about, we've got our Vegas, or I'm sorry, our Straight Out of Vegas show on Fox National Radio. Straight Out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. And you've been on this for weeks and, I mean, a month plus, And you said, hey, I don't want to just say Oklahoma again, but it's worth saying. Let's do an update on this overrated team, the freshman wall associated with their great freshman. Yeah, Oklahoma starts the season 14-2. and They got the best player in the country, Trey Young, leads the nation in assists. So is he the best player in the country right now? Not right now. No, he's not. So not the best player in the country. No, not. But people perceive him to be the best because he's the guy that's leading all the news stories when you hear anything about college basketball. So maybe the most hyped player. Yes. And I think overhyped, at least as far as I'm concerned, especially their last eight games where they're two and six straight up last nine games, one and eight against the spread. And now, look, I expect the public, the betting markets to be in love with offense and the best player. But I did not expect the committee to be in love with Oklahoma. I thought they'd see through them being overrated. So what do they do? They put Oklahoma as a number four seed in the committee reveal on Sunday. And to me, looking at what they've done the last eight games, looking at their next six games where they're going to be a dog at least three or four of those games, I'm thinking this is more like a bubble team, not a top four seed, overrated Oklahoma. All right, so you're saying it's possible. It's re- A bubble team implies there's a chance they might not make the tournament. Do you reasonably, and again, the fact we're saying the committee is got a incorrect perspective or they're overrating might be a simple way to say it. This Oklahoma team means they're not really a bubble team, but understand if you were on the committee, if it was a one man committee, Mr. Brad powers, I mean, it's like dreams that you have. Sometimes you right now, if the, if we were deciding the at largest, let's assume they don't get the big 12 automatic bid you would debate potentially not including Oklahoma as an at-large team? I would say they're in. I would have them in eight seed, but I'm also looking towards the future where I'm looking at their uh, upcoming schedule. Hey, they're going to lose so you're three saying or if four they, more if games. If they underperform even a smidge, they might be on on the Brad Powers tournament, might not make it yes. at-large. Wow. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview.
Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. So, Fez, you've got a, some strong feelings. And remember, Fez, <laughs> the thing you got to know about Fez is he comes off a little humble now and again. But Fez has really, let, let's be honest, he has a strong, strong sense of ego. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the world. <laughs> Go. I was expecting another question, but I believe that the committee, when they evaluate teams, also looks into how marketable those teams are. And when you have an extremely marketable team like Oklahoma with Trey Young, there is no way they want that team out of their dance and they will do everything they can to have them not play not just one, but two tournament games. So, RJ, not only do I expect Oklahoma to get a better seed than they deserve in the first round of the tournament, don't be surprised if they get paired up against the most injured team in a 6-11 type of matchup. The Cupcake 11 will go to Oklahoma. And when we do see the brackets, and there's a famous, and it's it's been a while, I think, on the fame side, but a still in Vegas, a known better named Allen Boston, Great college basketball better back in the day, right? I, my sense is the, and again, that's what's so tough, guys, about winning at this. You can just have it just so locked up and not locked as in a sure winners, but you can be so, what's the right word? Zoned in. Uh, you can be so profitable. Let's keep it simple. And then three years goes by and, you know, look at Coach K. You know, Colin talks about, how a Bobby Knight was intractable, right? And in a certain environment, he was as good as any coach maybe in history at in those years, right? Undefeated, 76, 81, 87, Keith Smart, et cetera. Is, and, but then things changed, and man, he dropped like a rock, right? Now you got a guy like Coach K, as good as anyone, and then the game changes, he underperforms, at least those high expectations. And now one and done, he's back. He's changing. He's fluid. He's flexible. And I, I think with handicappers, in fact, I know it's the same way is if you're winning today, every day you've got to be, well, not every day, but at least every half season, you've got to be thinking, has something changed? Has something changed? Fez, now listen, two-time super contest champion, only guy to ever do that. And you've won four out of five years at pregame.com. So we really don't have to wonder as the game passed you by. But the question I've got for you, and we can just go an inch deep here for 30 seconds, and then we'll talk about this in the slower times in you know, May and June. We can go into these deeper dives. How often are you thinking about a certain approach? Hey, I like underdogs off of a loss, blah, 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 blah. But then, okay, one year it goes six and seven out of 13 times in that situation. Now, I think it's wrong to say, oh, forget it, right? If something's 55%, you're going to go six and seven sometimes. But if you're always, there's some people still playing systems that's been, you know, dead either because the market caught up to them or because the game changed for, you know, 10 years after they're dead. How do you think about that? Well, I reevaluate the stuff I've gone Obviously, through. I'm asking you how you do it. Let me give an example. Home underdogs in the NFL, you used to be able to blindly bet those and you'd hit 53.2%. Then you look at the data, you look at the last 10 years, you look at power ratings, you're not getting value. 
value is taken away because the marketplace is be- is overbetting those based upon the historical trends. And I think to just go the inch deep, the idea that the power ratings is, hey, this is what the line should be, all things equal. That's the starting point to see are other factors being considered. Game done changed. Game the same, just got more fits. Any thoughts on that, Brad? No. Because right, I, I saw you going up to the mic. I thought maybe. I do think it's important that I to say I 100% agree with Alan Boston in terms of the committee bias. The poster child for this was one year Wichita State was undefeated. They're a number one seed mid-major. The market. Kentucky. They, they absolutely, they hate mid-majors going to the Sweet 16 and the final four. So what they do to Kentucky? They took a number three, four seed type team and they made them a number eight to knock out Wichita State. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. <laughs> that, it's like that drop was made for this yeah. conversation. And not only that, they usually set them up where they've got a tough game. You know, they, 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 it's like my, it's like playing like some crazy video game when it goes on some mode, like you can't win mode. And to me, it's just so I get, they're making, you know, I guess net net you're making more money, right? If you have uh, Wichita state, not in the final four, but you know, David Stern, obviously, in some ways, he was amazing. You know, uh, we all know about the tape delay <laughs> before Larry Bird and all that. And Stern took it to another level. Um, but he understood with the Tim Donahue scandal, if the integrity of the game, and that's a generic term, but if people wonder if our game is on the up and up, if who's supposed to win is going to win, that's probably the best human way to say it the team it's supposed to win are they are do they win if that's in question nothing else matters right i mean wwe it, everyone knows it's a it's an opera it's a opera with 400 pound you know amazing athletes that's why it's such a big sport or a big entertainment events and i'll tell you this when when you're a hardcore fan and you know i've had times with the steelers it was like you know, me winning my bets on Sunday and the Steelers winning were right there. I, I was that invested. If I felt like my team was getting ripped off, if it was rigged to use the political parlance of the day, I mean, it's not only unfair. It's like you're, you're effing with my emotions. You're effing with, you know, with something that is important in my life. Like the leagues want Wichita State's fans to cons- or in this case the NCA wants them to care so much. But then you're going to do something to make a little myopic short money now extra, but it causes someone like Fez who is not a conspiracy theorist at all to say that this is fraudulent, something's wrong here. And to me that's what, you know, Alan Boston has said for a long time is if you look at these and not it's not only playing tough teams it's playing the type of teams that they're going to struggle with. These committees know, okay, this this Wichita State, for example, is going to struggle against this type of team. So let's make sure they play that type of team potentially three three straight rounds. I think, you know, follow the money, I get it. But, man, the egregiousness of that, I, I think, is something that not only is wrong, I think net-net, it's not profitable for the NCAA. So, it's one thing, hey, am I going to break the rules? Am I going to do something 
you know, fraudulent, okay, well, how much am I going to make from it, right? Everyone in life has to choose, make those types of decisions. But boy, it seems like an easy decision when the fraudulent decision actually costs you money. <laughs> Why do it, right? But I guess they don't see that. I wonder what percentage of people even debate it. Like if you just asked a thousand college basketball fans, do you think the committee has it out for the small schools? And do you think they want to favor the blue bloods? I mean, would even a high, would even 10% say, Oh no, that's not the, like what percentage? Yeah, would, I was 90. Was the 90 would say there's some element yes. of that. What do you think? Fez? It's hard for me to forecast the public. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're so different than the public. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. So we can't expect you to <laughs> think about the hoi polloi. You just look at the numbers they generate when they bet with their biases in the market. RJ, half of the public said they would rather lay minus $1.20 legally than minus $1.10 in a nefarious manner. Well, I don't think that's crazy. Can't win like just because you're just just because you're well they can't win at one ten fair enough <laughs> <laughs> right that's what you can't forget it's recreation right you don't win going to the movies do you but you still go when you had those two glasses of wine uh, you didn't profit from that did you I, I think that I lost big because that's the first dinner I picked up in years <laughs> of pregame <laughs> <laughs> that was the first dinner well listen mansion and yacht the upkeep on that not not easy all right. Speaking of the committee and the reveal, Michigan State, wow, laid out. Well, it was egregious to me. Here's a team, a Michigan State team, that I thought was a borderline number one seed, if not the top number two seed. So I'm thinking four or five, and the committee ranks Michigan State number 11, a team that just got done beating Purdue, a top five team. Yes, it was at the buzzer, but a Michigan State team that's won six straight games. They've done everything pretty much in front of them. So, so listen, the reveal is about the season to date. Yes. All right. So the AP has Michigan State where? Right now they have Michigan State number two. Okay. So if you're a third seed, you're going to be from nine to 12. Yes. Okay. So AP says two and they're saying nine to 12. I mean, so it's not about how they did this last game or whatever. I mean, just over the season, could you make the case that Michigan's the eight teams are better than Michigan state? Absolutely not. Well, not better, but have had a more accomplished season. No, I, I cannot. So why? Because the committee is overvaluing wins against top 20 teams. That's a major consideration in their rankings. Guess what? Why are they doing that? How many big wins against top 20 teams do the mid-majors have? Very few. All right. So you're saying the methodology, because when I hear wins against top 20 teams, I think, yes, let's value. We've, we debated this at length in college football. I'd much rather you play three really tough out-of-conference games and go two and one than play three cupcakes and go three and oh. And obviously the whole Ohio State, Alabama debate, oh, you lose to Iowa. Yeah, but if they wouldn't have played Oklahoma and had the one loss to Iowa, we all would have been okay with it. They would have been in for sure, but they got punished for playing Oklahoma and obviously losing. So, Fez, I love the idea, you know, and I remember the old Cheney at uh, Temple, right? Remember Coach Cheney, don't we? Yes. Okay. He's going to beat. Beat one of the coaches up, right? Yeah, Calipari. Yeah, but Cheney was a 5.30 in the morning guy. 
And but he used to play the toughest schedule you've ever seen. And I'll tell you this: you didn't want to meet those Temple teams in the tournament. So what's wrong with that approach? What's wrong is they get a team like St. John's that's like what three and eleven in conference, but they beat Duke, they beat Villanova. Well, you get fifteen kicks at the can, you're going to get three quality wins. Yeah, but you think St. John's is going to have an at-large bid? If St. John's got to above five hundred, I'd yeah, be but, sweating. They'd give it but, to. But them. if they got above five hundred, they'd be a very different team than they are. So I don't, boy, Brad, I, I understood. S- save him here. All right. Hold on. Here's why they're getting punished, Michigan State. They're playing the, like the number 249 non-conference strength of schedule. Arguably one of the worst that they've ever played under Tom Izzo. So that's why they're getting knocked. I am saying that they're getting docked too much. The fact, okay, drop them from a borderline one seed to the top two seed to the lowest level two seed, not as a mid three seed. I just think they're getting punished too much. Yeah, and, and listen, I do see Fezzik's side that if it's ju- if the only metric, if their only criteria was how many top 20 teams have you beat, then the, the kick at the can, as you said, the, the ability or the opportunity to play those teams would be the, the most important thing. I think if it's a key weighted, heavily weighted factor, I love that. Also weighted, how many losses do you have? Also, you know, because if you do play non-top 20 teams, winning or losing against them matters, right? Yes. It doesn't matter as much. I mean, beating the 50th team in the country isn't as hard as the 15th, but it still matters beating that team versus not beating that team. So what you're saying, Fez, is not, and again, maybe it is somewhat a way to, you know, undervalue the mid-majors, which goes back to follow the money, but but I think we all would agree in general, quality wins should matter. Would you, you're just saying maybe it's a little too much. Yeah, I think if you play three top 20 teams and you're a number 30 team and you go one and two, I don't think you should get tremendous credit for the one win. You should win one out of three if you're a thirty number 30 team anyways. But then it goes back to if we do give a little extra credit for the one out of three, it's going to motivate teams to schedule tough games. I mean, to me, the worst thing in college football is we had weeks and weeks this year, guys, that there wasn't a good game on the I mean, literally, there wasn't like, a, hey, don't go see a movie or don't let the wife schedule a dinner with that other couple on this Saturday night because team A is playing team B. I mean, there was so many weeks there wasn't even one game like that. And how do you get games like that? You incentivize teams to play each other. And I think it applies to college basketball also, all right, we're going to be talking about the biggest game on Saturday. RJ, real quick, oh. and I hate to interrupt you. I do want to make this. I think Michigan State's completely overrated. I mean, underrated as far as the committee goes, but they're overrated in the marketplace right now. They've won six straight games, but they haven't covered any of them, and the market's not overreacting just because, hey, they just beat Purdue 68-65. That's a great win. They pushed against the spread, even though it was a coin flick three-point uh, shot at the buzzer that they want on. So I, that's a rare case where I think the committee has them underrated, where I think the markets have them overrated. Which makes sense, right? Imagine there's three points on a vertical line. One is what you think the truth is. One is what you think the committee thinks, and the committee has them lower. And the other point is what the market thinks, and the market has them higher. And in, in between is the truth. And you know, that's what's great about a podcast. You can get into that complexity. Nothing complex about this, though. Nebraska. Nebraska. Not Tom Osborne. <laughs> not Tommy Frazier. Nebraska college basketball 
last 16 games against the spread. By definition, the spread is expectation. 15 and one? 15 and one against the spread. One of the more remarkable runs I've seen probably in the last 10 years for a power five team. And speaking of power five teams, I got a little did you know, Nebraska is the only team. Forget the Todd Osborne football stuff. They're the only power five conference team in basketball never to win an NCAA tournament. And I think that kind of goes into why they're never, being never over- to win an NCAA tournament an NCAA game. Tournament game. And I think that's part of the reason why they're kind of getting overlooked, even though it's Nebraska. So you're saying that they're the opposite of blue bloods in basketball, thus an amazing ATS streak. But, oh, we don't even think about Nebraska with basketball. Let's not worry about it. And also we talked about it's the flip side of Michigan, where Michigan is falling short of expectation, but they're still winning the games. Thus, the big headline in the USA Today and on ESPN.com is an upset of Michigan State. There's usually not a big headline. Hey, Michigan State was laying eight. They won by five, right? Yep. So in general, in college basketball, the ATS results matter to the teams that or the players, the batters that bet them that game, but otherwise probably not tracked as closely. And Nebraska, if they were 15 and one straight up, be a very different story. They'd be they'd be over they'd be highly rated. So what is Nebraska's straight-up record uh, right around in these 16 games? uh, It's 10-6, and 11-5. Now, they've turned that from just covering point spreads to the last six, seven games. They've won and covered. So it's kind of flipped the script a little bit here recently among the streak. And here is my great mystery with this Nebraska run. 15-1 against the spread. So they were 13-1. The money pours in against Nebraska the last three games. And they're not playing... Oh, the Ohio State's in the Purdue's. The money's pouring in on Rutgers. Money's pouring in on a god-awful Minnesota team. It's pouring in on Maryland. Who is betting against Nebraska seemingly every game? Now, if a team... Well, we know the big batters. Yes. If a team... Now, this is a good point to just take 90 seconds on and really simplify to understand. Typically, in NFL, if you tell me a team's won seven straight games... And I got to bet, bet it blind. I'm betting against them. Fez, you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Because the point spread tax usually applies to that team. They're expensive. Now, in college basketball, if you tell me a team's won an inordinate number uh, against the spread in a row or, or on a great streak or not a streak, but a, a good run, you know, eight and one, whatever, 17 and two, et cetera. Okay. I am going to be less inclined to automatically want to fade them because of the phenomenon that they aren't necessarily expensive. So let's answer the question with Nebraska. Has this run made them expensive? Now, doesn't mean that they're obviously the fact they keep covering means they're not expensive against the truth of the team. And which means the truth might be like three increments higher. You know, they're three increments better than we thought. 15 games ago, but maybe they've been priced upwards one and a half increments. So they're still, they've been upgraded significantly, or is it that they haven't been upgraded? They've been upgraded, but not significantly. But I will say the phenomenon I just saw in their last game, as we're taping this tonight, they're playing Maryland. We saw the early sharp money or the big betters at least come in against Nebraska yet again. Nebraska opened two and a half, got bet down to pick, but the public is starting to catch on. Public bets game day, a couple hours before the game, they get off work. 
they drove the number right back to almost the opener at two, two and a half. So I think this is the yeah, first time. Yeah, but public, the public on a Nebraska game is not, there's got to be some pros buying that back. Or not necessarily the same ones that Well, I'm it. one of them. I'm buying Nebraska time after time. Yeah, so I, I guess my question is, Fez, the, the reason you would think people are fading Nebraska is they feel like that the ATS streak was fluky. They've been upgraded and thus they're expensive. Thus they want to fade them. But Brad's saying they've barely been upgraded. I think what's happening is that the math guys are running their models and using data for the entire year and not well, wait, when there's on 16, Nebraska. When there's 16 games, it's more than half the year right now. It's a good point, but they were really bad to start the year, and I think that, that if you put those games into the database, all of a sudden Nebraska's not nearly as strong as they've been currently during well, that 16-game run. Well, because yeah. I don't know. It, they did change their lineup eight games ago. They inserted two new starters, and it's a much more effective lineup. All right. Well, we'll keep it next week. I want to keep following this Nebraska. We'll also talk about it on Straight Out of Vegas, Friday, Saturday on Fox National Radio, 330 stations. Okay, guys, stakes are going up in college basketball in a moment, including the biggest games and best bets. Rapid fire. Type actionable info. But first, though, a little NBA detour. Fezzik's number one focus in basketball is the NBA West, the Western Conference. You like to really specialize, but you follow the East. And we've got three teams Cleveland, Boston, Toronto. And if you watch the shows early this week on ESPN, on Fox, et cetera, the big debate was wow, that win against Boston, the Cavs, that must have been the trade they needed. And you've got some thoughts on the big three in the East, Cleveland, Boston, Toronto. Yeah, let's start with Cleveland. Amazingly, RJ, in one game, Cleveland has gone, in my opinion, from undervalued to overvalued. I bet Cleveland to win the East, not to win the title, to win the East, plus 180 before they blew out Boston in Boston. They blow them out, Cleveland does, at Boston. Two days later, I checked the odds on the East. Cleveland's not getting plus 180 anymore. Cleveland's the favorite against the field in the East, laying a dollar ten, a 90-cent line move based upon one game. Now I feel that Cleveland and the public has gotten a hold of this new idea. Oh, they got these four new guys. They're going to be awesome again. And I think they become overvalued seemingly overnight. Now, so that, that just goes to show you, right? A pro that bets numbers will bet any side of any bet if the number's right. You thought the number was, should have been about plus one forty or so. Correct. I thought the Cavs. You, yeah, I thought the Cavs. So little, plus one eighty offered value. That's right. Now minus one ten, it doesn't. Now you're getting robbed blind. How much have you upgraded the Cavs off of A and then B? How much did you upgrade them off the trade? And how much did you upgrade them off the win against Boston? So I bumped them up for. A by a point and a half based upon the trade. One and a half points, okay. And then I gave them another point for one game. So I up, upgrade them two and a half points. Now, Brad, we're going to be talking on the Fox show more kind of typical talk radio stuff about the idea of Isaiah Thomas and <laughs> you using the word cancer. I mean, strong, strong stuff. Is But to me, my thought that applies to the idea of Fezzik given the Cavs a one-point upgrade is we've always seen the Cavs, when they feel like the spotlight's on them, they play hard. So how much of this do we think, and, and Fez jump in, is, oh, yeah, this this these are the players. Because on paper, feels like the trade was about a neutral. 
I mean, we can talk about youth and all that, but obviously if they were young and better, they wouldn't have been able to trade for him. Right. So, or maybe somehow the Cavs finally figured out they can identify quality players that no one else can see. And they immediately show themselves. I mean, that's absurd. So to me, how much of this was the Cavs knowing everyone's watching? So the Cavs are going to play hard. How much of it was just randomness on any one game? You know, LeBron playing hard. I mean, because I think we know no matter how good players are, it takes them usually 15, 18 games in the NBA to get cohesive, to get that teamwork going. So I'm just posing like, how, where am I wrong? Well, most of it has to be randomness. They were a four. Then the why cap. upgrade them one point? One is not a huge adjustment. For one NBA game? How often do you make an adjustment for one point in an NBA game? I do when it's a completely new lineup that hasn't played together. And I have to pay attention, similar to the Eagles, with their new quarterback. I mean, I've got to go ahead and be more aggressive in my power rating adjustments. Except just looking at it, how could this team be that much better? On paper, they're not. How often do you see a four and a half point underdog in a big game win by 24 points, though? I mean, you do. It happens. Brad, you, well, you seem quiet for the guy throwing the word cancer. Yeah, around. well, no, I actually, I'll be honest with you. When he said two and a half point upgrade, I thought it was steep. I, I was thinking, wow, that's an over adjustment. That feels, feels to me like, and you know, the biggest adjustment I make on a week to week basis on a football game. And you're dealing with college football when I'm doing my power ratings. I'm dealing with a 12 game sample size compared to an 82 game sample size. A, a big part was that Isaiah Thomas was not close to 100%. And he was not fitting in with the organization. So because of that, although he was fantastic when he played for Boston, he was worse than a replacement level player for Cleveland. Worse than a replacement level player. Yes. Wowza. Okay, so you're selling the Cavs. You're buying. Buying the Toronto Raptors. You know, I like everything about Toronto right now. I was shocked to look at their differential in terms of scoring. They're outscoring their opponents by eight over eight points per game. Let me put this in context here. Cleveland year-to-date is pretty much even with their opponents in terms of points for, points again against. Boston is only plus four points. So, like, we talk about the Pythagorean theorem in baseball, where how many points, how many runs are you getting, how many do you give up? Well, Toronto scores a whole lot of points. They don't give up many points. They're every bit as good as Houston and Golden State in terms of points for and against. Okay, they're playing in the weaker East. Right. And also, where's Toronto fit in the whole ceiling debate? Right. Do How hard do they play day to day? Well, that's yeah, that's a great question, because the book is it a question or a great point? Their ceiling, they may have already be at it because we've seen flameouts for this team in the past, similar to Virginia in college basketball, where they don't get better in the playoffs and they don't make an advance despite having a fine regular season. Thanks for enlightening me on this particular subject, RJ. <laughs> I mean, you didn't say if I saw, I thought, let Stephen A. That was very eloquent. (laughs) But the point is, they're so much better statistically now that everyone else has to get up to the Toronto ceiling. When I say everyone else. So Toronto to win the East is plus 200. Do you play it? I'm thinking about it. Okay. And game to game, we noticed the Celtics, they've been downgraded significantly. They were plus 200. Now they're plus 350. Now, how does that happen? The one game did that? I think that the markets have soured on the Celtics because two of the five guys in their starting lineup are 20 and 19. And the feeling is that Brown and Tatum may be, you know, having to play all these games over the regular season, that this team is wearing down a little bit. Okay. All-star break coming up. I've got a little pet theory on it. I want to get you guys' thoughts. 
And then what we'll talk about is, well, all the action. Let's say that. Here's my theory. Teams that do have a higher ceiling, which means they ebb and flow, right? They yo-yo with effort. When it's the last game before the All-Star break, they know they're going to have an extended period off. This year, that period's even more extended than years past. Is I'm not sure about last year, but typically. Thus, it's like, okay, it's like, oh, it's your last. You got one class. Think about college. A lot of people didn't put max effort in every class, right? But it's like, okay, this is your last exam, and you've got three days to prepare, so an extended period, and then you've got two weeks off. It's easier to study for that exam than it is if you got five more exams right after it. Under that theory, I'm looking to play on the yo-yo teams, figuring you're, we're going to get a strong performance, strong effort. Agree, disagree. Yeah, I agree. I've thought about this. We talked about it off air and a team like the Atlantic Hawks that are very inconsistent in terms of the effort you get. Like you said, even the bad students are in the library the night before the exams probably get a very good effort from some of these teams that do take nights off. Fazek, do you bet the All-Star game? I do bet the All-Star game. I love the All-Star game. So you bet side total. What do you typically do? Side total props. You know, one thing I haven't done my research yet on the game, but I can tell you, RJ, that Whenever there's revenge in the All-Star game, that's a pretty big deal when the West beats the East. Isn't there revenge every year? Yes. And if you get double revenge, it's even more valuable. I like to go, in the past, this is what I played, but the props where I really like is if you get a guy coming in, because they have the player props, how many points the guys are going to score, you get a guy that's injured, banged up, he wants to go to the All-Star game. It's a lot of fun. The party, play him under for the total number of points, because they'll go ahead and value him as if he's going to get the same minutes as the other superstars. And oftentimes he just gets a token appearance. I want to ask you, Fez, no East West this year, all-star game, totally different scenario where he actually had LeBron and Steph pick players. You think more intensity, a little bit more of a rivalry than East West revenge can't be a factor this year. He's going to put a kibosh on that revenge angle. No <laughs> doubt about that. I guess he hasn't done his work yeah. yet in the, I have not done my work yet. I will say this when the pro bowl, when they selected the players, the scoring went way down a lot more competitive. We might well see that in this all-star game. Same thing. And that's coming off of at least for the last five years where we've had historic lines on the NBA all-star game and historic scoring. You know, we've never used this. This is for Brad. That keeps one in the chamber in case you ponder. <laughs> <laughs> savage. Is that the wire? Sa- yeah, it's the wow. wire. Sa- savage. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time. Wow. A lot of action. A lot of action. All right. Biggest game that we're not going to have a free pick on college basketball, Brad Powers. Yeah, it's actually on Sunday. Big rivalry game here. Ohio State at Michigan, not football, but basketball here. And really, for me, Michigan, I think in the projected line, is going to have the Wolverines a slight favorite around two. I'm going to lean with the Wolverines, and I think it's a great spot to play on Michigan. They got one day more rest advantage over Ohio State, back-to-back home games. Ohio State's prior to this game has a revenge spot against Penn State, their only conference loss so far of the season. And Michigan has revenge from an earlier meeting against Ohio State. And that loss, that blowout loss to Ohio State back in December, has changed Michigan's entire season. Here's a team that's 13-4 and straight up since then. And even at home, they're only lost in the entire season. One point against a top-five Purdue team. Short number here for the Wolverines. I'm going to lay it with them. All right, good stuff. So look ahead there for Sunday. And now our best bet, we got three of them, including Esler, Fezzik, and Brad Powers. Don't know about the future. 
That's anybody's guess Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed Fire up your pad and pencil I give you a piece of my mind All right, Fazek Chance at Redemption Let's go Saturday. Xavier hosting Villanova. I love Xavier in this spot. January 10th, Villanova beat Xavier by 24 points. That's the last game that Xavier has lost. They've had this game circled for a month, a blowout loss at Villanova. Villanova is has been down two starters. They'll probably get one of their starters back from concussion. But here's a team that is not playing nearly as well as they were earlier in the year. I think that on a week where this is their second game this week on the road, Xavier's been home all week. It is a home run spot. We're going to lay minus one or less with Xavier. And I think there's a good chance they can go ahead and win this game and win it handily. Now, Brad, that's the biggest, that's best bet. Look ahead to Saturday's biggest game, right? You'd say? It is. Oh, no question. Number three, Villanova at number four, Xavier. So give us just a thought or two. Do you agree with his pick? Yeah, I do lean with Xavier. 15-0 and straight up at home. So around a pick game, you're betting on a team that hasn't lost at home this year in that particular spot. Also, what I've noticed from Villanova, here's a team that the, the public's going to love because they're number one in the country in offense. But their defense has been really poor compared to their past five additions where they've average rank was like number 14 in the country. This year's defense for Villanova, number 49, going on the road back-to-back in a home run spot for Xavier, I agree with Fez. All right, so we got a double agreement on Xavier on Saturday's big game. Next, free pick for Mr. Dave Esler. Your free pick for Wednesday is Boise State over Nevada. Um, Boise State lost at Nevada earlier this season, 74 to 68. And in that game, they shot three from 21 from behind the arc, had more offensive rebounds, more steals, Basically, they did everything right but win the game. They don't have a bad loss this season, and they haven't lost at home. Uh, they're also sitting in the brackets right now as a potentially a first four out. So they have a, a ton of motivation there. And they lost to Nevada last year twice. Uh, some might think that's a that's a matchup issue. Uh, none of those games were, were overly blowout. So I, I happen to think it's, it's more of a revenge. The revenge thing weighs heavily more for me than the matchup issue. Nevada's short bench and Boise State having that home court advantage. I have to think that Boise State minus one and a half is the play here. Okay, so not a big surprise since Brad gave it away. <laughs> so you're just you're just picking them off left and right. Yeah. Savage, the savage Brad. <laughs> You've taught me well, though, RJ. I learned from the best. <laughs> you know, remember the outlaw Josie Wales, right? So have you yeah. seen that? Oh, with Clint Eastwood? Yes. Uh, what, what was the ending again? I'm trying to think. That's been a, that's 15 years Clint ago Eastwood since I killed a lot of people. Was yeah. the end of, but the but <laughs> well, I know that. But well, John Wayne doesn't die except his last movie. He had All cancer right. and he died in the shootest. Great movie, actually. He played a gunfighter who had cancer and and he knew he was dying. In the shootest, Ron Howard played a little boy that, or not little, I guess he was 15 or 16, who was uh, maybe even a little older that was looking up to. You know, the shoot, he wanted to be a gunfighter. But then when he saw the truth of the, you know, the violence and stuff, he said, oh, no, that's not for me. Right. Which kind of reminded me when I was like five or six, my mom will not let me forget. She mentions this probably twice a year is, you know, I was, I guess maybe three or four, even like not even in kindergarten. So I couldn't, wouldn't leave the house by myself. And I'd always look out the window and see the garbage man come by. And it just looked so cool. They had the big truck and it made a bunch of noise. 
I'm like, I want to be a garbage man. So one day, finally, I go, let me come out and see the garbage man. So they walk me outside. I go running up. And I take a sniff. And I'm like, ew. I ran back the other way. Said, <laughs> that was it. I, I did not want to be a garbage man after that. So it was kind of similar. Best bet, Brian. Well, number one, let me first say I love Dave Esler's pick, Boise State. Would be <laughs> game I'm going to bet. One of my favorite picks of the week. I'm going game number seven, four, two on Wednesday night. Florida State minus two and a half. Their opponent, Clemson, is overrated due to a softer schedule in their last four games. Clemson's played three of the four weakest teams in the ACC. And why am I bringing up the, the last four games for Clemson, Florida State's opponent? It's because Clemson's been playing without one of their best players. And I think that soft schedule has really masked the fact that they really haven't missed him yet. I think they miss him here. Here's a Florida State team that is off one of their worst performances of the season. Blowout loss against Notre Dame. And while Clemson's got that gaudy 20-4 and record, they're only 1-5 and against the spread on the road. Give me Florida State, game number 742, the Seminoles minus the 2.5. All right. Oh, go ahead, You know, I really like Dave's pick and Brad's. In terms of NFL handicapping, what I love about Brad's is we talk about this sometimes, RJ, the 30-30 in the NFL. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> One team loses by 30. The other team wins by 30. Oh, we're going to look to back the team that lost by 30 in the next game. And the fact that Pitt got annihilated in their game. Um, against Clemson. Against yeah. Clemson. Clemson did everything they wanted. They got everything they wanted. They put 94 on Pitt. That sets them up for a bad outing here, I believe. That's Steve Fezzik. Follow him on Twitter, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. Brad Powers. Now, guys, we're doing this once a week, but every day they're putting stuff out, basketball-related. Brad Powers 7 on Twitter, at Brad Powers 7. No one knows why he has a 7. My Twitter, at RJ in Vegas. Also, and one important announcement here is... Dave Esler, again, if you like to read, <laughs> for those that like to read, Esler should be in your rotation. It's Dave underscore, underscore Esler, E-S-S-L-E-R. And here's the announcement. We've been talking about don't bet on it. Now, what's don't bet on it? It's me and Steve Cofield, who co-hosts the Fox National Show. He's done 25,000 hours of local talk radio. We did the math. He is steeped in that kind of hot take. Well, don't bet on it, is we're going to look at the hottest takes of the week. Stephen A. Smith, Colin Cowherd, Clay Travis, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to tell you what Vegas thinks about those hot takes. Because let's be honest, cold cash beats hot takes that's coming out Friday morning this week. Again, subscribe to the podcast. It's the same channel. Just go to any of your players and search for RJ Bell. Subscribe. You'll get that on Friday. And remember, if you haven't listened yet, the Oscar Goodman interview. Have you listened to it, Brad? I have. How great. It was I mean, awesome. I mean, what'd you think? It was awesome. Awesome. I just, yeah. I mean, being now a local Vegas guy, I wanted to learn a backstory to everything that's happened in the last 50 years. And it was that and more, in my opinion. Wow. Now, Fez, I told you, you know, let's be candid. I don't often, like, ask for much. <laughs> I said, Fez, I said, you know, I'm so proud of this. And I'd like you to listen. What'd you think? I'm going to have to get back to your <laughs> next podcast. And I take 10 demerits. 
I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.